You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. Uh, Glad to have you back here once more with us for our series called uh, From Generation to Generation. So we've got a special guest with us tonight. Emily Mowry is here. She's our resident uh, millennial who's joining us tonight. So thanks for being here with us. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to our conversation with her tonight on the millennial generation in the church and how it uh, intersects and, and how it's uh, working. So if this is your first time with us, we want to say welcome and uh, let you know we usually post these Wednesday at uh, 10 a.m., even though it's, uh, I don't know, 8.30 p.m. on Tuesday night when we're actually doing this. So if we look a little, uh, you know, a little tired, it's because... Haggard from the day. <laughs> yeah, it's from the day of wrangling kids and stuff, I'm sure. So uh, just bear with us with that. But uh, we do post uh, our episodes at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. And we uh, also post in podcast form a little later on. So be sure to look out for those. Um, this is the, uh, I believe, the one, two, three... Uh, this is the fourth episode of our series so far. We've talked with a member from the silent generation, the uh, baby boom generation, Gen X, and now today the millennial generation. So uh, I guess before we dig too deeply into what that means, let's go ahead and open it in a prayer. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you and we praise your name that you've gathered us together by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that there are many different kinds of people and that and that uh, you've made us that way. And there are many different types of people within the church, and that is good. We know that when you talk about the body of Christ, you talk about how not all parts are the same, and that's because you've created us differently. Uh, We know that uh, generations approach things differently, and we pray, oh God, that this discussion about generations would be uh, fruitful in instruction, and that it would be uh, good in pointing people to the gospel. We thank you, O Lord, for your good, goodness to us this night, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Well, Emily, welcome. Really glad to have you. And um, I guess before we begin with any kind of questions, um, maybe if you could just introduce yourself briefly and let us know who you are. Sure. Um, my name is Emily Mowry. I have been a member of King of Kings. I don't I guess eight or nine years now. Um, I'm married to Mark Mowry, son of Kevin Mowry. I feel like everyone knows Kevin if you don't know Mark. Um, we have three kids. We have Hannah, who is five, well, almost five. Micah's three, and Tirza is almost eight months. Um, we have a crazy dog named Moses, and I am uh, honored but also confused. <laughs> to be chosen as your millennial uh, interviewer, but uh, I'm happy to do it. And I'm excited to go through the questions with you. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of reasons why I I picked your name from the hat. Um, (laughs) One of the reasons why you're the lucky candidate, I guess, is I was interested in talking with uh, a mom who's also in the working world. I think that's two things in the millennial generation that 
are somewhat unique, not to say there haven't been working moms in the past, but um, a lot of times those moms are not in the thick of being like mom with little kids and juggling job that's high pressure. Uh, and I think you kind of fit into both those categories. I also feel like you, your family and you in particular are very engaged in, in the church. And so you have something to say specific about King of Kings. And so I think that'll be valuable to hear your perspective. So I want to thank you for joining us once more. And that's why. So. Okay. <laughs> I was only giving you trouble, really. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, um, I guess to, to kind of break us into this topic, we'll, we'll review uh, a little bit of what we've talked about. Um, we talked about, first of all, our mission at King of Kings and sharing the heart of the King through connecting, growing, and sharing, and how at the core of those kinds of things are the relationships of people inside the church, and that our church is very much, and all churches are very much, multi-generational churches. And so that dynamic of intergenerational relations is a very important one in the church. It's what makes the church go. It's what yeah. gives energy to do the mission. It's where we, we receive our, our teaching and wisdom from older generation to younger. Uh, it, the, the message of the gospel is best spread in the household between parents and their younger generation children. And so these intergenerational dynamics are, are huge in the church. Um, next, we have, uh, we talked about the Strauss-Howe generations theory and how there's this sort of cyclical history in the United States where uh, one generation leaves and their kind of uh, identity is taken up by the mantle of that, that niche, if you will, is taken up by the oncoming generation, generation mm -hmm. going from childhood into adulthood. Um, and so we talked about four archetypes, the idealist archetype, the reactive archetype, the civic archetype, and the adaptive archetype. And, when, and tonight we're talking about a civic archetype, the millennial generation. I've already shared with Emily how I'm recusing myself of my generation tonight. <laughs> uh, she's the only millennial here tonight. No, millennial. Yeah. <laughs> I readily admit it. But tonight I'm trying to wear my my uh, non-gender or non-generation uh, identifying. I be careful what I say. Um, generation identifying hat. So um, we're going to. Uh, talk about this civic generation, the millennial generation, which are people born between 1981 and 1998. Okay. Um, and so I'm assuming you fit within that group, correct? I yeah. do. Yes. What year exactly. But yes. Uh, so um, that's a broad group when you think about it. not that any of these other generations aren't, but there's a lot of stuff that happened between 1981 and 1998 in society. And so that's a broad group. Um, we talk about sort of the importance of worldview and of these kind of capstone moments and how they have impacted the generation as they've come into uh, their years of out of childhood and into adulthood. And so for, for the millennial generation, 9-11 is really the big capstone moment. We'll talk about that in a second. I'll ask you where you were, because I've kind of done that with all of these capstone moments. Yeah. But the other thing is the worldview. Because of 9-11 um, and because of other things that have occurred in our nation and in society at large, we've taken on sort of a worldview of a security mentality where we sought to, uh, our, our generation has sought to kind of establish new norms that bring reliability, consistency, security, where we feel like we know what to expect and there's no surprises and things like that. 
And so uh, that that's sort of the, the mantra, if you will, or the, the worldview, the mentality of this generation. So that's just a, a brief overview. Once again, we talked about silent generation and the baby boom generation and all that. And we've seen how they've kind of uh, filled those niches. But now we're talking that civic um, or sometimes it's called the hero uh, archetype. And I don't know many millennials who would be like, yeah, we're the, we're the heroes. But typically these groups rise to the occasion to meet a challenge and create stability, security out of that challenge. When you think of the greatest generation during World War II, um, they were a civic generation. So when they aged and kind of left our generation coming into adulthood, uh, filled that in. So Emily, let's get into some questions. Um, there's a, a cultural uh, identity or stigma about millennials. I think uh, I heard a, a pastor today when we were talking, I was talking a little bit about this and he said, in a lot of ways, millennials get a lot of, uh, he used a word I probably won't use, even though it's not that bad, but <laughs> lots of stuff, right? And uh, they, they don't really deserve well they kind of deserve it you put it that way they kind of deserve it and they kind of have earned the stuff the stuff that they get so what do you think about the way that society around you thinks of millennials are there any misconceptions or inaccuracies about the way they're portrayed and what do people get when they talk about millennials okay so i had to kind of look it up to uh, put it in a, a smaller view for myself um and some of the things that I saw, well, they weren't the greatest, but um, some things were like uh, millennials are uh, self-entitled narcissists. I was like, oh man, <laughs> but we're also the like open-minded do-gooders. Mm. Like surely we're somewhere in between that. But um, I also saw the me, me, me generation um, and the, were the digital natives. Um, mm -hmm. So self-entitled I, I can kind of see that, I guess, kind of how you were saying, like, uh, we have, you know, rised, rose, risen to the, you know, occasion of, you know, needing to fill a void from the last civic, um, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I, I'm not sure I, I, I agree with the self-entitled, but yeah, and in a, in a way, we're we're all narcissists because we're all selfish. Just that's yeah. just human nature. So mm -hmm. I, I think that you can null and void that word. Mm -hmm. um, but digital natives, I think that's our kind of our downfall as um, a generation as a whole. I can still remember as a kid, like um, when we first got the internet. I I don't know. I was probably in middle school when we when we got it, and you had to like you know, sign on to our one computer in the family room. And it like took forever to like dial up through the phone and everything. You got and now, yeah, seriously. Um, and we never had AOL and I like all my friends did. So I didn't have the instant messenger and I felt like mm -hmm. a loser, but you know, those are my problems as a child, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is, which is sad. But um, so I think the I don't know, digital age, how quick it has evolved and changed really tells the story of our generation, actually, mm -hmm. because we've had to like stay up with this just constant digital, you know, enhancement. Um, and we're the, we were the age that it was coming into the workforce and changing that too. So 
um, I think that kind of drove a lot of our generation. Um, and yeah, it wasn't for the best in some ways. I, kids nowadays with the social media too, like that's a whole nother ballpark, but um, it's, it's very easy to um, show, you know, be the me, me, me generation when you can write and, you know, post your feelings and your, you know, status update on Facebook or whatever you're feeling every minute of every day. So I understand that um, assumption of our generation and um, it's not the greatest one, but, um, but, you know, digital advances, you know, advancements also changed a lot of things for the good too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. One of the things that I've kind of heard it described as is that uh, the pace of technology has advanced so rapidly that, um, our generation has kind of become the, the open armed guinea pigs. It's like, yes, give us more. And then, but there's never any question of like the long-term consequences of yeah. level of engagement with technology. There's never been, I mean, people have had technology as long as there's been human beings, but it's been like a slower, you know, kind of pace. It's, of it's created that like instant gratification. Mm-hmm where you just immediately are receiving something. So uh, you turn on Netflix and you scroll to what you want to watch and there it is. If you want to watch the next episode, there it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) So um, yeah, maybe we do feel entitled because everything's handed to us. Yeah. It's easy to feel (laughs) entitled when things are there to grasp, you know, just reach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's, kind of look at it this way. Um, every, every generation is in a lot of ways, uh, influenced by the, well, really shaped by the influences of their youth. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Um, tell us about your family. Um, what kinds of things you enjoyed doing as a kid, like what we, what your favorite thing, way to spend your time was, and what are some events that, that shaped you in your youth to make you are today? Well, you asked where I was on 9-11 and it yes. was, it's funny that, I, I don't know, it seems like it happened forever ago, but then mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like any time has passed because yeah. something, uh, I was in seventh grade. Um, I was in, I had second period gym in seventh grade, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I was in gym class um, when it happened, when um, the first plane hit. Um, And then I went to Spanish class where I had a a Spanish teacher who was from Spain. Um, She had a very thick accent. And I remember coming into her room and she just was a disaster. She was, uh, you know, like really distraught beside herself, just crying. And she's got this classroom of kids and none of us know what's going on. And she's talking about the World Trade Center and we're like, what's that? I don't, I don't think any, I don't know of any of my, you know, friends in seventh grade knew what that was as Mm -hmm. a middle schooler. Um, but you have your teacher who just like, can't deal, you know, just can't deal with herself. It was, it was a really traumatizing experience just Mm -hmm. in that, in that case where she couldn't handle the situation, but it was so far away from us, but it, it, you know, it really touched us in that classroom, just Mm -hmm. from her reaction to it. And it didn't, you know, it took a, the next period I had, um, was social studies and 
I still remember Mr. Reinecker telling us about it and he turned on the news and I still didn't understand. So when my mom picked me up from school that day, we lived from, we lived walking distance from my middle school. I walked home like, and she was waiting in the parking lot in the dentist office across from sparing. Mm-hmm. I was like, why is my mom picking me up? And I, I just, you know, from there, just, um, it's really always stayed with me, but yeah. So yeah, it's that, you know, again, it did not touch my family personally. I did not know. We did not know anyone. Um, but just like that huge, huge, um, event in history really did touch, I think everyone in our yeah. generation mm-hmm. and, and a, it's a been, small way, but yeah. a big way. <laughs> it's uh, been mentioned by some of the other generations that, that of course they remember it too and they know where they were and it, you know, but the, the thing that it, it's such a, uh, I use that word capstone moment for our generation is we were kids in school and that, mm-hmm. that sort of emotional roller coaster of how to deal with it and seeing the look in your teachers and parents' eyes. Yeah. Oh, this isn't just like a thing. This is like a thing. This a is thing. A- this is what fear is. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and and I grew up in Arkansas. And this is how I knew it was real. I played football and they canceled the game that week. And so that's where yeah. I, this is a real deal because they don't mm-hmm. keep football games in Arkansas. <laughs> right. So that was a, that was a big deal. Yeah. Insane. Okay. Um, but fa- my family life, um, I'm the youngest of four. I have two older sisters and a brother. Um, we grew up in a Catholic church as a kid. So I've always been, um, uh, in the faith, in the, in the Christian faith. Um, I did grow up Catholic. Um, we were very involved in our parish. We did a lot of sports as kids. I mean, you did it all. You, you tried everything. My parents made us, you know, we did, uh, softball, soccer, volleyball. We never did basketball. I don't know if that just wasn't a thing my dad wanted to do because he was very involved in coaching. Um, but, uh, the one thing that I kind of never really thought about, which was quite a blessing as a kid is when you grow up in a parish, um, you're literally going to church with, you know, a a radius of in distance from the, um, from the church. So you're going to church and everything with people in your neighborhood. So, we could walk to church, um, and pass four friends' houses on the way, um, which was, it's really cool. Cause I mean, then you're, you're growing up in a community where you can also, you know, be with people in your neighborhood and stuff too, which is different than King of Kings for us. Um, we do have, you know, some friends at King of Kings that have kids the same age as us, which is amazing. And, um, we really enjoy having our kids play with, uh, you know, kids from church too. So they have that small, um, you know, young, young Christian community. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same as being able to just like walk to their house or play with them and, you know, out in the neighborhood. Um, but I never really, I never really thought of that until you said these questions. It's like, that is something I really enjoyed as a child, um, where I, I played with my friends from church, not, at school or at church, you know, so Mm -hmm. that was, that was really nice. Um, but, um, another thing that I thought about when, uh, what event in our, my youth, you know, changed or shaped who I am today, a Catholic church. However, um, we did end up leaving 
we, we went, we, we went to school, like private school too. Um, but we ended up moving to, um, public school when I was in fifth grade. Um, and I really think that that was a huge change in my entire family's life. Um, and in some ways I thought it was really a bad thing, (laughs) um, until, I don't know, until later in life. Um, so it's kind of an involved story, but I think it's important to note. Um, so when my sister, Amy, she's the oldest, when she went to high school, she went to public school instead of going to a private, um, a private high school. Um, the church that we belong to some of, you know, my mom and dad's close friends from the parish were really kind of I think worried about it, honestly, because no one else went to public school. All, you know, all of Amy's friends went to um, go on to private education in a Christian community. And so they were kind of worried about Amy, I think, and, and our family. Um, so much so that one, one person actually um, offered to pay for Amy to go to private school. Um, but my mom and dad were like, that's really kind of you, but we can't send the other three. So <laughs> that's just not an option for us. Um, and so she, we, we went to public school, which uh, actually turned out to be a huge blessing in a weird way. Um, so in some ways and not, um, my two other siblings, they had learning disabilities that they went to tutoring at um, Lindbergh's public school after school. Um, and when we changed schools, their IEPs kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just because I think the public school at that time had just like a bigger, um, variety of learnings or right. resources available to them that might, you know, our small parish just didn't, um, yeah. not to their fault, but public schools get a lot more funding, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and sometimes get, you know, different teachers that have, you know, a more recent education. Yeah. Um, uh, And the main thing that, you know, impacted me as a fifth grader, I mean, I was little, um, in the, you know, parish school, there was a group of, you know, 60 kids. So that's not that many kids. And if you don't really mesh or fit in or have a friend, that's all you have to pick from really. Um, so when I went to public school, I didn't realize how kind of I don't know, off I was, not off, but I was kind of a jerk. Like I was kind of a brat as a kid. And I think it was because I, I didn't really have any friends or I could be myself with maybe. Um, but then I, uh, in fifth grade was blessed meeting one of my best friends, Allison on, uh, the, on the playground during recess. And she is still one of my best friends today, which I think is unheard of. Um, I have three friends that we have literally been friends since fifth grade. So that's 20 plus years. Um, two of which went to different colleges than me. Um, they, one of them lived in two different States than me for quite a while. And we've all stayed in touch and stayed friends. Um, I think that is divine intervention. I mean, that does, it's, uh, a pretty amazing thing to, you know, be able to say, I have three friends that we have stayed friends for 20 plus years. I just, I don't, I don't think that happens very often, 
kids friend groups shift and change a lot. Um, and maybe we added, you know, some boys and stuff in there, but, but really, um, those, those three have, they have been a rock (laughs) in my life. And I've, um, am very blessed to have them. And, um, I, again, I think it was divine intervention. I, and they have, they have shaped me, you know, also with my family, but just having a stable group of friends who you can be your yourself to, um, and, and be able to go to and say things that can be kind of (laughs) ugly to is just, um, you're not to them. Just sometimes you just need to say things that aren't, they're not nice, (laughs) but you got to say them. (laughs) Um, but they've been, they've been pretty amazing. Um, Great. Well, my hope is when we, when we come back and do this again in 20 years, you'll still have those friends. in your life. So. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. One of them is, is moving to uh, Indianapolis oh. probably in the fall after she gets married, but it's not too far away, but yeah. I'm, I'm sad to, to lose her distance wise for a little yeah. while, but. Well, okay. Very good. Um, so let's go on to this next question. You've already mentioned a little bit your your path, uh, you were, uh, Catholic and, um, and so just tell us a little bit about, uh, your faith journey in general. The first question I have, and I'm, I, everyone has had an interesting answer, uh, that's a little bit different than what I thought it would be. So I'm interested to hear how you answer this, but how did you become a Christian? And then moving on from there, uh, what has influenced your faith and how was church different when you were younger? How did I become a Christian? Um, I, I've never known anything different because we grew up in a, in a Catholic church. Um, I would say my grandparents had the biggest influence when I was little, um, just of what it was to be dedicated to your church. Um, if I went over to my grandparents' house any time of day, I could tell you where I would find my grandpa. He would be either sitting at the kitchen table when you came in or in his recliner in the living room doing his prayers. That just was him. That just what he always did or saying his rosary or, um, but I, I loved that. I loved how he just like submerged himself into, you know, quiet time each day, uh, to just, be still and to, you know, say, say prayers. And I asked him kind of later in life, like, what, what did you pray for? And he was like, I didn't always pray for anything. Like in particular, I just prayed or I would just like recite prayers that were, you know, from whatever. Um, he wasn't, he said, I wasn't always asking or looking for something. I just was praying. And I thought that was kind of of beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That he wasn't, searching for anything or looking to receive something, um, just simply being, you know, in the presence of God, which was, I think it's pretty, pretty beautiful. So. Yeah. That's one of the, that's one of, it reminded me of, uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, which is one of the key theme verses to kind of our, our identity when we're trying to develop our, our family ministries in the church and talk about how important it is to that family's at the root of, of faith for, for people. There's this, this idea um, that the tradition of the faith and the practice of the faith is something that's done as you go. Mm-hmm. So as you're walking here and there, as you're 
sitting down at your house as you're waking up in the morning, going to bed, eating a meal, that the routines of your day are where God wants to intersect with you. And um, I, I think that's a beautiful way of kind of portraying how we should be in our prayer life or devotion life is it's not like we are trying to say, you're not doing enough and you need to do more. It's more, it's more like you're already doing these routines anyways, just add God to those routines. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, he, he, you know, that's just a testament of how much more mature he was in his faith than I am yet. Um, I'd love to get there where I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, Oh God, please let me not yell at anyone while I do these dishes really quickly (laughs) or, you know, um, I'm always praying for patience or, you know, whatever. Um, but just to just pray, gosh, how peaceful that must be to not, you know, just, you know, just to submit and open up and just be in prayer Mm -hmm. and not be not looking to receive anything, but be so fulfilled by that too. Yeah. Well, and you, you're talking about, you know, your prayer to have patience. I think one of the kind of cliche ways of thinking about it, but it carries some weight to it is when you pray for patience, does God give you patience or the opportunity to be patient? Right. So <laughs> right. I think when you're talking about your grandfather, it's probably because of a lifelong lived and realizing that he can find peace in those prayers because mm-hmm. he had endured, you know, seasons of life where he needed that peace, that development yeah. skill. So. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Next, next one was, uh, uh, so you talked about some people, how was the church? I mean, obviously for you as a former Catholic, the church looked a lot different, but, um, I, I guess, tell us, uh, how the Catholic church is different than what you experienced at King of Kings, but then also think of sort of the, the, the Christian church at large in America and talk about some things maybe that you've seen that are different now than they were the way you perceive them as a kid. So the best way I can put this would be as a, as a kid, I, or, you know, I wouldn't even say kid, even as a young adult, um, I, it was never presented to me in a way that I was supposed to pursue a relationship with God myself. Mm. I, that sounds stupid, I'm sure, but like, it was so, um, like memorized, know the rituals, know, um, kind of the, like, uh, I don't know, ritual of doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what you say when you do this, where, you know, what sacrament are you supposed to work for next? Um, but it was never really taught to me or um, I was never helped in a way to, to just to, I don't know, learn on my own or to, you know, seek God on my own. Um, I definitely didn't do that until probably I met Mark, honestly. Um, and surprisingly, he kind of said the same thing, which shocked me that he didn't, he didn't feel like he really pursued a relationship with Christ until we started our relationship too, which, um, his family is very, uh, very deep in their faith and they've had, uh, a lot of, um, really good upbringings and, you know, knowing scripture and stuff. So it, it surprised me that he was like, I didn't really, I don't feel like I really pursued a relationship with God until we kind of started our relationship too. Um, I thought he helped me along, but apparently we helped each other along. 
Um, so, and definitely as a parent, um, I would say as a, when I became a mom, I also, my relationship and wanting to know Christ more, um, even, even went further, even deepened, um, not that you have to be a mom to understand God's love, but in a way becoming a mom, I feel like I have a glimpse of us now. And I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I, it's hard for me to believe. Nah, that's not the right word. It's hard for me to, um, comprehend that someone could possibly love my kids more than me, even mm. my spouse. I just, um, I just, it's hard for me to comprehend that, but, um, then I know that somehow God does like he loves my children more than I can even ever, ever provide them. Um, and the, the love that I have for my kids has made me, has given me a glimpse of an understanding of how much God loves me, yeah. us, you know, not that you have to be a mom, but I'm, I'm just grateful for kind of understanding it now. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's an interesting uh, thing I heard about this. A lot of people in, in life kind of think of it like a ladder where they say like, God loves me this much and, and, or God loves my child this much. Let's put it like this. And then I love them this much and then so on and so forth. Or, uh, in the loves of my life, you know, I have to put God up and then I put my spouse and then I put my kids and then I put my, you know, family and then my word. Mm-hmm. Heard the better way to think about it is instead of thinking of it like a ladder to think of it like a, like an archery target that um, what you want to think about is like concentric circles. And you say like, if God's at the center of the, of my aiming, my targeting in life, then it helps me to see that the the concentric rings are still centered on my relationship with God. And because my love for God is, is honed in and tight, it actually makes makes it easier for me to, to bring all the others towards the center so that I can love them more and I can be a better servant to them and things like that. So I kind of like that definition more than than the alternative of thinking about like this much versus this much. It's not a quantitative thing it's more of a qualitative thing so yeah um okay so that's a good one uh let's move on to uh question number five um let's talk about the generations that are around us so we've talked about um so let's ask this question what generation are your kids do you know i'm sorry say that again what generation are your children in aren't they all alpha Gen Gen Alpha. So it's it's a struggle. I've seen things that say that the the they kind of jump the gun a little bit with the the capstone of when they begin Gen Gen Alpha, uh, and they made it like the uh, economic crisis in like the early 2010s and coming out of that. But mm-hmm. in reality, this COVID is a much more stark uh, <laughs> cultural. So really, tears a maybe yeah. Micah. Yeah. So, so like, I, I've might seen, be a, a gen. Yeah. I've seen 2020 is sort of the cutoff. And so I know that, yeah, like my Wyatt is, he was born in, in literally in March when we went into the hospital, everything was normal. Oh came out, there were masks and they were taking people's temperatures and everyone was starting to freak out in the news and stuff. And so I was like, I can't imagine 
yeah. having a child during that. Yeah. <laughs> your first too like that oh actually. i don't know what it's like to have a kid when you're not in the middle of a global pandemic <laughs> you can do it it's so easy yeah. compared to that <laughs> yeah so um so there's yeah so you have children that are in a generation which is totally undefined right they call it gen alpha but they don't know what that means yeah. um you have uh you know friends and and things that are millennials what do you know when your parents are they uh gen, are they gen xers yeah are they boomers okay they're boomers they kind of cut off between the two so they're in that yeah. area uh and then you deal with people you know in your work and in church that are you know beyond that even so what do you, what's your perception of the, the way that, that the millennials kind of fit into the, the generations at large? Hmm. I don't, I don't know. I definitely, I definitely need all my, my older generations. Yeah. Uh, I'm one that needs, needs guidance for sure. Um, I think I, I, I don't know. I relate a lot to, the, the silent generation, maybe, um, like my patients at the hospital, I just tend to enjoy and congregate more towards like my elderly patient group. Um, I just, I think, I don't know if my personality gets along more with them or yeah. I'm just a sucker for old people, but <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I enjoy that, that, yeah. that generation more, I guess. It could say have a lot to say with your your react your uh, interactions and relationship with your grandparents because they would have been probably in that generation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and maybe I don't know. Maybe generation, maybe generation X, the boomers are maybe they're too loud for me or something or too <laughs> too. I, I mean, I'm not a, like a I'm not a quiet person, but maybe they're too uh, rambunctious or boisterous. I don't know. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> they're too much. Yeah. They're too spunky. <laughs> well, and and yeah, it's you. Obviously, we deal we deal and and operate in the midst of a lot of people. And I think you were mentioning your job um, being. You have to deal with a lot of folks from a lot of different generations, but a lot probably more um, yeah than otherwise. But um, yeah, so trying to think where I was going with that question. I think that we all, and especially in the millennial generation, there's this tendency towards um, kind of entrenching in our own way of doing things. And as I was kind of joking earlier with that pastor, he was saying that, that they get, that millennials get a lot of flack, but they deserve some of it. And I think that's sort of true because we, um, we, we are kind of unapologetically our own thing. Yeah. often we annoy other generations <laughs> because I think that's fair <laughs> we've come into adulthood and I think there's this this sort of mentality in, in society that millennials are still kids and we're not kids we have kids of our own now uh and we're Surprising. professionals and you see a lot of things on like social media posts and stuff about like when our baby boomer you know parents and and our silent generation grandparents were buying houses for, you know, they bought a house for $150,000 and it, now it's worth 1.8, you know, million dollars. Million right now. Like, uh, yeah, I have an apartment, you know, I know. And $1,300 a month on rent and yeah. making, making my monthly budget work. And I have a full-time job, you know, so. Uh, I think, yeah, the work life for millennials, we get a lot of slack, but 
we also came out of, you know, college or what, you know, whatever, a lot of us during the recession where you had, you, it was like almost mandatory to get a job. You had to have a college degree or a master's and Mm -hmm. then you still couldn't get a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I did not have that problem because I'm a nurse. So I thought you job, were job security. Skilled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, job security, just become a nurse. Yeah. Um, no, but um, the one thing that I, I kind of think was missed in our generation, this kind of goes down a rabbit hole, is I, I think like everyone in my everyone in my close circle, I will say in high school, we all went to college. We all went to a four-year university or went to Merrimack for our A-plus tutoring and then went on to a four-year university and got a degree in something. However, I know so many of my friends that don't use their college degree. Like they ended up doing something different. (laughs) You're not in our group. You're not a, you're not a millennial. Um, but they ended up, you know, doing something different. Um, I just, I think we kind of missed, Uh, there was like a missed opportunity in our generation where was it ever, you know, presented to you at school that you could go to like technical college or, you know, become a trade, you know, go to trade school of some sort. It would have been perceived to some degree to be like a a failure, you know, or like, Oh, that route. Sure. You can always say it was never presented to us B, like, yeah, it would have been, well, why didn't you go to, you know, college? Because some people shouldn't. Like, yeah. It's not meant for everyone. I would argue it wasn't yeah. meant for me. Like, yeah. And they're handing I, out student loans like candy too. So it's like, you know. I, so our generation all went to yeah. tons of debt, couldn't get jobs. Like, um, so now, you know, having hard times, you have a massive amount of debt. You have harder times getting houses. You know, it's just, we were set up for failure in some ways, I think. Like <laughs> some of these, like, you know, blue collar jobs where you can make, you know, very good living being a pipe fitter or a lineman for, you know, telephone wires and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. but those, those kind of jobs, they weren't even, they weren't even like presented as a high yeah. schooler. But like, do you know how many people like would be good at that? You know, a, a university is not necessarily meant for everyone like I I am not just like intelligent by nature like I had to work really hard but for some people like if you don't have that worth work ethic for book stuff you can be really good at something else you know I don't know I think our generation missed an opportunity there but it was the older generation that didn't give it to us Mm, sure (laughs) now we're getting no I'm just kidding Um, so we mentioned your children are sort of gen alpha, but, and you kind of touched on this. This is the point D on, on, on number five. Sorry for that. Um, this, uh, idea that your faith has changed as you become a a mother, but how has your faith impacted your relationship to your children? What, what kind of legacy of faith do you want to leave for Hannah and Micah and Tirza? So, um, I'm thankful that I started like pursuing a relationship with God before, um, I would, I would say like an intimate relationship with God before we had kids, but since we've had kids, um, it's only made me more, um, eager to, uh, like make it a foundation to make it concrete, to, to 
pursue him constantly um, because their salvation's now in my hands. Like <laughs> um, if I don't teach my children who Christ is um, and, you know, lay that foundation, I also have to, you know, remember and trust that their life is also in God's hand. It's not in mine. Like I don't control Hannah's faith walk, but I'm going to try really hard right now <laughs> to, make get sure a lot of influence on <laughs> to make sure she knows who, who Christ is and, um, and wants to learn about him. And so far she is just a sponge. Um, and she's, she just loves to learn the stories and she's got her favorites already, which I'm very, um, excited about, but also a little jealous. Cause I didn't have as much knowledge and, you know, understanding as she did as a five-year-old. So, um, I'm very, I'm very grateful that she is a sponge. Now I think we'll have a little bit of a different, uh, Micah. I don't think he's going to be as interested, <laughs> um, just by his personality. I just, he's not as, you know, interested in, in books in general, um, so really, you know, Rocks and balls, right? yeah, yeah, I know <laughs> just recite some scripture to him while you're throwing basketballs or something. No, but he does love music. So he actually can probably sing more scripture from songs yeah. <laughs> than Hannah could. Um, but they've just made me more eager because their salvation is, is really at this moment, um, in my hands to lead them down the path. Um, and hopefully that, you know, foundation and them seeing what, how, you know, Mark and I read our Bibles and, um, go to, um, Bible studies, um, and just, just simple acts too, like what music we choose to listen to or, um, what, what books we read or what activities we do just in our spare time. I don't know. Those are just small things that, really do show you that we're always trying to be in, um, you know, not always trying to be in the word in some way. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, always reading our book. No, it can just be, you know, we're not watching horrible things on television or not that we would do, you know, that Mm -hmm. in front of them right now, but we have been trying to be mindful of, you know, what we're putting into our minds and, you know, and our hearts, because we want them to choose those ways later in life too. Um, if that makes sense. No, it does. That's called modeling the faith by what, not only what you say and what you read, but what you do. And I think that's very important. And what you're touching on something here, I think is absolutely critical for people in the millennial generation who are coming into that age of having, uh, kids. And that's the, 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 the central and probably most important task of being a parent is teaching the faith to the kids. There's a lot of things you teach your kids, right? You teach them everything Mm -hmm. about how Hannah's a sponge. All kids are sponges and the the areas that they enjoy learning about. They they're hungry for learning what life is all about. And if, if you take the mentality as a parent of, Oh, I'll let them make decisions about religion when they're older, that you've already missed them because you don't let them make decisions on whether they stop at stoplights or, you know, whether or not they eat their vegetables, you make those decisions or help them make those decisions with kids. And so you have to help them make those decisions in Mm -hmm. a way as well. So, yeah. Okay. Um, So let's move into um, 
next question, how would you encourage others of your generation, the, the millennial generation, uh, to serve in the church? So, I don't know if this is true for you, but if I'm thinking of like our large group of friends, I would say that uh, Mark and I are maybe the exception to the rule of uh, being involved in our church um, or, you know, doing things regularly. Um, I would say a lot of our friends, like, again, I'm being very broad with when I say friends, um, a lot of our friends, I would say, believe in God or have a faith, but maybe aren't active in it. Um, so I, I, I think what Mark and I have tried to do personally, um, isn't necessarily in King of Kings church. <laughs> it's in the bigger church, um, mm -hmm. is, you know, we have these relationships with our millennial friends, um, who have, I have not, have not chosen to seek a ongoing relationship with God, um, or be active in any group, any, any church. Um, but having a close relationship with them, we have tried to strive to be that voice in that light. Um, and, and having that close relationship with them, we can sometimes have the awkward conversations and it's fine. Um, and even if they don't receive it that day, it doesn't change our dynamic as a friend, mm -hmm. um, but maybe it eventually plants the seed or, you know, down the road in, in their life, um, we can only do so much, but um, having a conversation with your friend or just being open to questions or um, just really kind of being genuine with your love too um, can help help spark something. Um, and so we've just, I think uh, maybe that wasn't the, the, the answer you were looking no, for. Maybe right. you were looking for, you know, the serve in King of Kings, but I think we were just looking, we've been focusing as a, you know, a church as a whole, um, you know, God's church as a whole, whether it, whatever Christian denomination you choose to be, um, just as long as you're pursuing God, um, and have, uh, you know, a walk with him so that you, you may have salvation and, you know, eternal life with him. Yeah. And I think that's one thing you see in, in the millennial generation and each generation as it comes on is the increase in sort of spirituality without, uh, connectedness to a formalized expression of that spirituality and religion. Right. Um, and I think it softens a little bit when people hit their thirties and start having kids and they're like, I want to teach my kids some moral value. And so I want the church to help me with that. I see that <laughs> more and more. Um, but still that's sort of a loose commitment, but some people fall into it almost on accident. And that's the Holy spirit, right? We know that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, each subsequent generation that, that, is coming into adulthood is getting more and more of that kind of nuns uh, listed, you know, N O N E S uh, on the religion line. They just don't have anything as a foundation for faith. Right. Um, so it's an interesting, and I think a very good mission field is your millennial friends. Give God every, every, you know, every person who's a millennial has 
a friend probably in their life who is not connected. And that's a great mission field because as we all know, millennials don't like to listen to older people telling them what to do or believe, but they're probably more apt to listen to other uh, others in the same sort of walk of life as them who share an experience of mutual benefit. So, yeah. All right. And then um, what there's, there's one other thing I want to say there before we move on. One of the things I think is so important, and I'm going to bring it up now in this millennial generation, is this dynamic that we keep talking about between um, having a church that's intergenerational, where we have the older generation and the younger generation. And I think one of the areas that the millennials have an opportunity to excel in, in the grand scheme is we may not have years of experience and wisdom, and we may not have a, a, a myriad of uh of stories that we can share. And we might not have uh, like a ton of time on our hands because we're pretty busy in this stage in life, but we do have energy and we have zeal and we have vigor for life. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's a major calling by God is for us to put a good, a good portion of that energy and zeal into his kingdom work. And I think mm-hmm. one of the areas the church has kind of missed is it overvalues the the wisdom of the elder and undervalues the vigor of the young. And Mm -hmm. I think that's an area where the church can improve is to say, uh, teach, teach the youth to, to heed the lessons of the elders and teach the elders to value the the vigor of the young. Yeah. Yeah. I think millennials are, I think I read it somewhere where uh, millennials seek um, experiences more than things like yeah. having, you know, whatever large homes or, but which we I can't afford think, them anyways. We're, right, we're so, so in debt. We can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, we kind of hinted our, at this next question already, but any, any words of encouragement for older generations or hopes for future generations in the church? Words of encouragement. Well, I mean, I guess you kind of touched on it. I don't know if I would go that far, but um, you don't have to uh, value our opinion, (laughs) Um, but just uh, value our eagerness, I guess. And um, you can nudge us which way you want us, I guess. But um, babysit. And baby. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Babysit. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would, you know, words of encouragement, I would say words of gratitude to them. Um, I love, I love our church where there's so many, you know, very different tiers of, you know, aged people. Um, but I love seeing going to 8am every week and seeing, uh, you know, Alice and David sitting on the other side or seeing Tom and how my children know who Tom is and they talk to him. And um, then Michelle being, uh, she was just, you know, we did a lot with her when we were first married with the youth group and stuff. Um, but there, you know, there's a pretty decent gap between, you know, our, us generationally, but uh, she's just a very good friend. Um, and again, a very good role model in the church to us, how, you know, she raised her kids, um, to be active in their church and they still are, which is what we would be shooting for too. So, um, just gratitude, I guess, to the older generations that have been around us. Um, 
and how they have loved us throughout the years too. So hope for the future generation. Oh man. I don't know. Um, I, a little I, too hippie for you. Let's just say. No, <laughs> no. I just go, you know, straight to my kids and uh, what I hope for them for the future. But um, again, I have to remember that there is only so much that I can control in their lives, but I hope that um, I can lay a foundation of God's love and that they will always seek him um, and be lights um, in their, in their lives to glorify him. Um, they may, you know, fall astray for a while. I can't say that I didn't, um, mm-hmm. as you know, a teenager or in college, I, you know, I don't seek him every day in college. Um, that would be <laughs> just a straight up lie if I told you I did. Um, but that, you know, in the end, that they, um, they lead a life that is pleasing to him and that only wants to, um, to bring glory to him without that, your life is so empty. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, I have, I experienced and experience that daily too. It's not that I, you know, my cup's always full. Um, but when I do, you know, try to, you know, humble myself in his midst, he somehow fills me up. (laughs) So, um, that's my hope. That's my hope for my kids is that, you know, they're, you know, seek him, but again, I have to, you know, just know that he loves them too, somehow more than me. (laughs) Yeah. And perhaps your hope for the future is that the same God who's shown his love for you will continue to show his love. He will, he will. I I don't doubt that at all. Um, he'll, he'll be there for them, but I just hope that they know him. Okay. Maybe that's a good place to wrap up for the night. Sound good. Yeah. Let's close in. Let's close in a prayer. Uh, Heavenly father, we give you thanks and we, Praise your name for this conversation that, that we've had and pray that it was a, a, a spirit-filled conversation that brings about good thoughts and uh, uh, maybe challenging thoughts to people who are listening. And I pray that you would continue to uh, guide us according to your will, uh, that we might grow closer to you, that we might seek you where you are found. Uh, thank you for Emily uh, tonight sharing openly with us uh, and uh, helping. Well, we'll be back next time. We're going to have a conversation with someone from the next generation, Gen Z. So I got a high school student that's going to enliven us about what it's like to, you know, to not be lame like old people. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, Have a blessed day in the Lord and we'll see you next time. For all those who are listening and pray that they would continue to heed your word and that this would be a, a blessed time and opportunity for them to uh, grow closer to you. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. God's people said. Um, Amen. Why don't we thank you for joining us? And Sure. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.